Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to yet again another fantastic indie creator interview. It's your Cape Crusader, Cody, and we are keeping it geekly with our brand new friend, JP Plack. We're here to break down his latest indie comic, Noirlum. How are you doing, man? Welcome to the stream. Yeah, give us a little bit of a breakdown of who you are and how you got into comics. Uh, yeah, so uh, go by JP, Raiden, uh, or Joshua, whatever you prefer. Uh, I've been doing indie comics for about three, four years now. Uh, I kind of came out of the University of Oregon, um, academic English literature world, just kind of guns blazing, wanting to do things my own way. And yeah, I make weird comic books and graphic novels. So JP, with uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and start breaking down your first introduction to indie comics. I know we were talking a little bit before stream, you said you had three different IPs. So which one of those did you start working on first? And let's kind of like start working our way up to uh, the comic that we're here to talk about today. So Eudaimonia was the first one because I love, you know, really confusing people with my titles. Um, it's a word from ancient Greek philosophy that basically just means like the good life. So... You know, you experience life, you go through those inevitable trials, and if you're really lucky, you have your eudaimonia, the life that was worth going through all of that strife in order Ooh, to I, achieve. I, yeah, I love that. I love that title. Yeah, so eudaimonia <laughs> was a two-part series from like World War One, where people were really grappling with um, trying to find meaning out of like just the complete and utter chaos that engulfed the world. Um, I was I was reading a lot of like just really old literature at the time like beowulf and you know um sir philip sydney things like that and back in the day they would tell they would tell stories basically in verse so like the very first stories that man wrote were told in a kind of rhyming almost song-like structure so that it could be memorized and passed from like place to place um and then the soldiers during world war one when they would write they would often write in the form of um metered verse like meter meaning like um you know when you talk there's a certain emphasis that you put on different syllables mm -hmm. like stressed and unstressed so metered basically means that it would go like da 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 and it would kind of you'd almost say that it mimics like the soldiers marching right and so that was the style that they wrote in so when i went to tell the story i, I just did exactly that i wrote um, like a hundred sonnets that told a singular story and were strictly in the wow, kind of meter verse. that's so cool. So a hundred different uh, sonnets. Was that like a, a challenge for you to do at all? I mean, as far as like putting in the work and getting the practice of like just get, like just saying every morning I'm going to wake up, you know, like go to a coffee shop or bakery and just write a sonnet before every, you know, before class every day. And then it was just like, it's like anything, like the more you do it, you know, the easier it gets. Um, even if that means that you find yourself like thinking and rhythms. Um, but yeah, the book came out. It was beautiful. I'm really happy with it. I'm probably going to probably going to start Udemy in number three sometime next year. I kind of have to have everything kind of planned out and spaced out. Um, that, that, that is so cool, though. Was uh, So did you uh, did they all have like a, like a like a single like uh meaning to them or did you have them all like be different like different parts so each page has a different each page has a sonnet on it but they're still telling a story so it's a singular narrative throughout each book um and then with a sonnet usually what you're doing is there's four lines four lines 
four lines and then a closing couplet. And so you would basically have the first one introduces an idea, the second one introduces another idea, the third one compares them, and then the final couplet like kind of summarizes it. And so it was bas- it was just kind of like making story beats and then exploring them on every page. I mean, still doing a hundred that that seems like it was such a challenge. Like, how long did that take you overall to accomplish? Um, I basically I knocked out the first book over the course of like a couple semesters in college. And then when I graduated and I was so used to that routine, I just kind of incorporated into my postgraduate life where I would just wake up, you know, go to a coffee shop start working on book number two so i mean is that is that hard to break that routine do you find yourself like wanting to do that when you wake up now oh man i mean i miss going to coffee shops but basically like covid put an end to that you know what i mean it's like that the the two years of that basically i've I've kind of forgotten about that you know as an activity ever since no absolutely absolutely so outside of that first ip where are we uh next with the second one you know what was that about how how'd you end up you know stumbling into that and and working that out and uh you know where are you with that second one so uh the second book was called how to die uh it's just a really weird story i basically i made eudaimonia and then i realized that i made a comic book that's nothing at all like a comic book so I wanted to try and make something a little bit more familiar to people. Um, and the idea I came up with is in the world of how to die, um, people obtain superpowers through misery and death. So instead of like, you know, the best and the brightest, you know, ascending to, to obtain superpowers, you have like, like drug addicts and homeless people and killers like these are the people that get superpowers what a crazy world that would be though right like (laughs) (laughs) given all the people yeah it gets crazier because like you can only obtain your superpower if like your life has reached its bottom like there's you're at like the absolute depths of existence and when you you face death right like the moment of your death comes And you will only be able to survive if you know how to die, which is to obtain your superpower and save yourself. So do you, do we see a lot of people in that universe, like purposely putting themselves at their worst to kind of achieve these powers? Like how, how does that work for them? So book one basically starts at the genesis of this moment. So literally the first person that this happens to, um, so not yet. But there's a lot that you can play around with. Um, I'm basically going to start introducing like first one, then two, and then three characters uh, that they come to form this kind of paper, rock, scissors. Like their powers kind of cancel each other out. So one would be effective against one, but not the other. Um, And then they basically, one of them wants to create more people like this. So it's kind of like a philosophical impasse. Like, okay, you've discovered this. Now, what are we going to do with this? And so you have like, you know, the evil character that, yeah, they, they want to create more people. And then you have the people that are just like, you have one guy who's kind of like a slacker and he doesn't know what he wants to do with it. And then you have one that it, I don't, I can't really, I haven't really thought it this far ahead, but yeah, it's, it's basically going to be like 
a chess match between two forces and then something in the middle that's like an agent of chaos. No, I, I do. I, I'm just I'm really loving the concept too, especially giving people at their worst and their lowest like these powers. I mean, it's such a, a different concept than than I'm so used to, like I'm used to hearing. How did you uh, come up with that? Like, what all was thought and creative process behind that? I mean, I this I, I kind of I kind of had this idea for years. It's it really came about from like um, what I would call the kind of adolescent idea of like hey things are like this but what if they weren't like this which you know what i mean like a lot of people think of it as being a shortcut to a good idea um so trying to take that and actually move it into a more creative direction um so i don't end up you know that meme about like subverting your expectations no, I I was just curious about that because it is it is uh, rather interesting. Um, and you said you uh, have how many issues out right now? Um, okay, so Udamini and number one and two came out. How to Die number one is out. Um, New Orleans is the current campaign. How to Die two is in production. Udamini um, three is completely written, um, but it's going to be something a little bit different from the first two books because what happened was. When I was in college, I was like writing and submitting things and trying to get things published like all the time. And I got like dozens of stories and poems published. But when you do that, you basically give up the publishing rights for them until it gets printed and then they revert back to you. That's a, so that's a weird have, process. Yeah. Yeah, so it's for like publications, they'll want the temporary publishing rights. And then once they get it out, they give it back, you know, you get it back. But now it means that I have like this massive collection of like, un, you know, stories and poems that I never got to put out. So three is going to be like just an anthology of like all of these different things. No, yeah, that, that I, I've never actually, uh, I guess... You know, just as a consumer, never really heard of uh, that part of the, of the process where, where they hold it and you actually lose the rights for a little bit. So uh, we have a comic talk with Pops Van Zamp in the chat. I want this book and my lighter. <laughs> Hail, Pops. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's, it's I'm really loving uh, where you're going with that. And, uh, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about Norlam. Uh, let's start breaking that down. Uh, this was a rather rather interesting one too about you know uh, the detective and everything. So give us a breakdown of the main protagonist and kind of where we're at in the world with this. Okay, so the year is 1929, and there's a serial killer in old New York. The problem is um, nobody's really put the pieces together that it's one guy. The only person who has a kind of a inkling of this is a rookie detective like brand spanking new like just you know first first few weeks in homicide and he just kind of has this sense that like you know this feels like one person's work the problem is since he's a rookie he has like no leverage in the department whatsoever so nobody would believe him but he has this chance encounter with this guy coleman carmichael who lives in harlem and coleman is this guy who is just kind of a natural with uh, putting things together, you know, with deductive reasoning. And through this chance encounter, um, you know, this police detective, Baldwin, 
he's like, you know what? I want to get to the bottom of this and I don't know how. So maybe this guy can help me. And so the two of them team up and the hunt is on for a killer in old New York. And uh, yeah, 90 pages filled, filled with color. Uh, and it's the Hudson River Killer. I thought that was a rather uh, interesting spin on the name as well. Any uh, like h- historical uh, backing behind that, or was that something that was just purely your own creation? Oh, shoot. I think in the show Dexter, which is not really a good show, there was a Green River Killer. And the thing I just love about like New York geography is that the placement of the Hudson River and all of the really interesting neighborhoods that kind of run along its banks so like you have the columbia university area you have harlem you have all this old history that that yeah like and then you have like the docks and the dock workers it's just like it's like the lifeblood of the city Mm -hmm. especially or at least back then probably not as much today yeah it's just something about that that geography that i wanted to get into the you know get into a, a pivotal part of the book so what type of a story and adventure can we expect in this? You know, where where are we going to, you know, be taken? You know, uh, what type of antagonist uh, is the, the Hudson River Killer? So, well, I can't give up the ghost, you know. I have had somebody tell me that they didn't see it coming. They didn't see who it was coming. So that part I was successful in. Um but I, this is what I'll say about the, the killer. Um, there was this guy whose name is just escaping me. And he was, he worked in advertising. And he basically wrote the playbook for propaganda. Um, he's called the Godfather of Propaganda. And he went on to, in like, I think the 50s and 60s, he ended up working for the U.S. government doing all of these clandestine operations in South America to basically trick the people into overthrowing their own leaders. So the idea for the killer is, what if there was somebody on a much smaller scale who was using murder to sway public opinion? I love it. I love it. Oh, that is such a good twist. I, I'm always here for for, for for that type of a twist in a story. Uh, wow, that, that I, I love just the inspiration behind it too. There's always like so like it's it's crazy when you start to dig into the past, just how like insane some of those stories are too. I just recently uh, read about there's this like CIA thing where they were like killing uh, soldiers from like a third world country and like puncturing their neck like a vampire to scare them to think there was vampires there. Like so, I, I always love Jesus. hearing. Yeah, I love hearing stories like this too. Like because it's just crazy to hear like the lengths people will go to like to manipulate forces like that so let's go ahead while we're here and we'll pull up the indiegogo and take a look at it and start breaking it down uh let me go ahead and get things switched over to our correct screen of course so right here is the in demand campaign is this a little video right here Yep. Let's go ahead and watch this. Uh, we'll be able to hear this. You might not be able to, uh, able to hear the audio on your end, though, just to give you a heads up.
Wow, I, I really love the art in this. Who's uh, the artist and your creative team on this project with you? Oh, okay, so the cover art is by Kanan White, who is amazing. Um, cover colors are Jesse Hege. Interior line art is Roel Roque. And the colorist is Miriam Yasser. And she's like the MVP of the book, basically. Yeah, that's all. I, I, the one of the biggest things that drew me to was just how gorgeous the art looks. So this is a 90-page noir detective graphic novel set in 1920s Harlem, currently sitting at 5,275, backed by 129 backers. Congratulations on that. That is that's such an awesome campaign. Uh, you know, what's been attributed to some of your success, would you say? Um, I would say number one is respecting respecting the, the support of the people who've backed you. Um, if you see down there, it says updates 14. I'm all, I'm trying to get as much information to my backers as I can. I'm trying to be as punctual and timely as I can. Um, and customers notice that, like they notice that, that you respect their support. And so I think between that and always being open to um, critique and criticisms and always looking to improve will have the people that supported you in the past coming back for more. No, absolutely. And uh, I, I always love to see that too when creators are updating uh, their backers, letting them know where they're at in the project and, you know, the different stages of production. So that's awesome to hear that. That's been something that you really wanted to do. Uh, let's go ahead and start checking out the story. So this is a 90-page full-color Nord detective thriller set in the 1920s Harlem, teeming with murderous intrigue and mystery in old New York. Here is a look at the cover. And wow, this is, like I said, this is just gorgeous. So uh, what are we seeing right here? Is this uh, one of uh, the, the ladies that get killed in the story? or? <laughs> yeah, so um, a lot of the old noir posters used, like, montage, like a lot of different, you know, different sizes, you know, so... You can see Coleman there, significantly larger than Officer Baldwin down at the bottom. And then you have, yeah, so capturing that, the kind of thing that you would see on like old movie posters was kind of, was, was really important. Um, the splash art really, uh, yeah, really, really captures it as well. So um, back in the day, they would have what was called a rent party. So if somebody in the building couldn't really pay their rent, they would bring in a band, you know, the old lady would be on the stove making something delicious and there would be a cover charge and it would basically be to, to pay the rent for the month, basically. So that's what we have going on here. Uh, unfortunately, the drummer uh, does die almost immediately. Yeah. So the structure of the story is very similar to a lot of um I've, I've watched a lot of detective tv shows mm -hmm. so for this story it's it's structured a lot like a pilot where i have these two characters you know what i mean you have coleman there and then you have officer baldwin and they need to meet each other and officer baldwin needs to see that coleman's a, a sharp mind right sharper yeah, than yeah. most so in this scene here, basically there's been a mysterious death. The drummer dies in a, in a bathroom with no other, nobody else in the room. And Coleman just kind of figures it out. And so officer Bald, Baldwin is able to see like, wow, this guy's kind of sharp. Um, 
Yeah, as far as the inspiration, I've, I've read, like, it's it's basically a mix of, like, all the detective shows I've ever seen and a lot of the literature from the time. Like, the Harlem Renaissance is probably my favorite artistic movement ever. Um, I love the prose, the poetry, the music, all of that. Um, so I can't really point to anything, like, really specifically because I can't think of any detective stories from that, but it really is, like, a mix of those no, I got you. And I, I love this scene in particular, too. We see this uh, woman on the dock and she ends up getting shot as well. There's a whole lot of killing going on. The Hudson River Killer is stopping at no ends to snuff, uh, snuff out people left and right. Yeah, so we have the, uh, the lieutenant there and he's basically your... Um, he's basically your police detective who thinks he has all the answers and wants to do everything you know the old school way and just kind of shows up and is like oh here's probably what happened let's get let's you know let's go to a diner or something and detective baldwin is more like the you know i want to help people i want to go out there yeah and let's dig a little deeper yeah yeah <laughs> which kind of drives him uh proverbially into the arms of coleman mm-hmm yeah, so Coleman is basically a, he's like a grinder, you know what I mean? He he teaches part-time, he tutors kids, uh, he sneaks into college classes and just kind of absorbs information. So it's it's almost like he's, he's kind of like jacking knowledge. Um, and that's basically what gives him that ability for like deductive reasoning. So this, this, the dialogue on this page is like probably my favorite from the whole book. I really love how you're setting up these two characters and their partnership as well. It, it, it's, it's really interesting. So what's this between uh, two worlds? Is this the name of uh, the, the arc of the story? So each, um, there's three chapters. Each one has a different one of these splash pages. Um, between two worlds is a, is a reference to um, W.E.B. Du Bois and the double consciousness um, which was like a pretty popular, you know, philosophical treatise out of the Harlem, probably the most famous philosophical treatise out of the Harlem Renaissance at mm-hmm. the time. And the basic idea is that when Coleman and Baldwin team up, they're coming from two completely different vantage points, right? So in that previous page, they're like, they go to a diner to get a sandwich and talk about the case, right? And it doesn't even occur to to officer baldwin that like coleman can't just go into any restaurant you know what i mean so he has to go into like what was called a bmt or a black and tan which is a restaurant that would you know serve black patrons and so you know they kind of have to they kind of have to they're between they have to meet between two worlds essentially yeah and it's 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 crazy to think how different everything was back in the 1920s compared to now. Uh, like a hundred years later, uh, you know, how, how people were, were treated and everything. Uh, was that like, was it like hard to incorporate that in the story like, to, to write that? Did you find that like a hard line to like write with, you know, or was that something that um, wasn't too much of a challenge for you? It wasn't a challenge for me because I've studied it so much and I, worked really hard to do it thoughtfully like not in a way that's like really clumsy mm-hmm. or mean-spirited it's just it's handled with it's handled with care and it's it doesn't 
it's not what the story is about. It's about two people finding things in common to achieve a common goal and just do good. So right here is a little uh, bit for um, for fans of Sin City, Chinatown, The Untouchables, L.A. Noir. I loved L.A. Noir. This is like I was picking up these vibes a whole lot too. Uh, I, I loved playing this game. Yeah, I didn't think about it until later, but honestly, the one that it's most similar to isn't even on this graphic. But Seven has a lot, in, or this story oh, has a yeah, lot in common with seven. seven. Yeah, Seven's a good one too. Yeah, because you have a an, a, a, an experienced knowledgeable person and an inexperienced person going after a mysterious killer and well i can't spoil anything oh no you're good you're good you're good so uh here are some of the other works as well so these were what we were talking about um earlier issue one and two and then how to die issue number one as well so i'm loving these covers these covers are gorgeous like you kind of get that real big emphasis on the cello right here yep and then i threw cello music into the trailer as well so it's my motif. It's like my J.J. Abrams lens flares. So um, 100 Backers, next project cover revealed. So this is uh, going to be Hollow Die issue number two. Yeah, when the campaign was going on, it was like um, that whole image was black. And then do you remember from the movie Major League when they had the, um, the cardboard cutout in the locker room and for every win they would mm -hmm. take off a piece? It was like that, so every backer would reveal another piece of the cover okay that yeah that's really cool i really like that i really like that so here are a look at some of the stretch goals are these still unlockable or is it just in demand just everything that you're able to buy i mean it's not like anything crazy they're, they're it's mostly art prints that are being unlocked so if it hits it i'm happy to do it okay but they are they are hittable so we have at five thousand chapter two art print and then six thousand the cover art print so there's a look at that and then uh let's take a look at some of the tiers so what are, what's all available with the uh, on demand is everything that's listed or all the perks uh all except for the ones that are sold out all right so the featured is just the fax man that's 25 usd uh this is a, a physical copy yep all right so uh for the pdf uh just the fax uh, robot that's 15 dollars uh, usd for the pdf you can get the uh you're going to have to help me out with the pronunciation. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, the Eudaimonia Comics Library. Oh, also, the book is completely done, so the digital copies have already gone out. Okay, all right. So you get the whole library for 30 uh, USD for the PDF. So that's awesome. That's This is all your works. Um, is, uh, is this like a variant for How to Die right here, or what's this uh, right here uh, that's in between? So, I, yeah, there's a variant cover. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't want two copies of a digital, <laughs> um, unless you want them. Um, but yeah, I, I had to use the same image for the full library physical below. Oh no, so I got you. I, I, I that's was... laziness on my part. <laughs> oh no, you're good. You're good. I was I was just curious because I wasn't sure if maybe this was like a prologue or anything. You called me out. <laughs> Damn, my bad. And then right here is the the Norlum HTD physical bundle for forty dollars. Uh, um, not a bad price on that as well. I'm really liking this variant. This variant's really gorgeous. Yeah, the yeah that was actually really cool. Um, I was surprised it lost in the campaign. Not not as many people ordered it. Oh really? Yeah. No, I think this yeah. looks gorgeous. I, I'm loving like the different like colors, like the, the how the blue goes into the pink, into the orange, and everything. It's it's really it's really beautiful. Yeah. So play it against Sam. You get uh, two copies for uh, fifty dollars, and then the retail bundle, uh, ninety dollars USD uh, for five different copies. 
That yeah. is the only way to get uh, one of the Zippos. I do have a few left for that. If, oh, if anybody... okay. And that that's right here. Yep. Oh, I got you. So that is cool. Is there anything else on this campaign that we might have missed? Uh, I don't believe so. So with that being said, let's go ahead. We'll move back to our main camera. And while we're here, uh, for anyone that's on the fence about pre-ordering this, about buying this while it's in demand or backing your other campaign when it goes live what would you like to say to them directly to kind of help them push uh, push them over that barrier so this book has been picked up by a publisher um it's going to be in stores but there are a lot of things that you're going to get with this that you're not going to find in stores um in addition to my signature was which is ostensibly worthless um there is a secret perk that's going to be in the book, but only for backers of the campaign. Um, I can't give away what it is, but it's an object that um, ties into the ending of the book. And so when you get to the end of the book, this item is going to be there waiting for you. It's going to interact with you the way it's interacting with characters on the page. So those people that get it in stores, they're going to miss out on it. That is, yeah, I always love uh, just that little extra oomph. Um, it, it can really make or break, you know what I mean? Like, that's so cool. Uh, I can't wait to see what it is, too. Uh, that So uh, is that going to be something that's going to be, well, when, when can people expect to, to be able to get that? So this is the hardest part. I hate it because I'm not in control of it. But if it was like any of my other projects, I would have updates on the printing, logistics, and all that. Um, I heard from my publisher this morning and he said, um, it's in the queue. So like, it's absolutely killing me because I don't know exactly what it's going to be. <laughs> like, what's that queue um, mean? To get, give me more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically. So, uh, soon, hopefully, but it is, the book is all done. Uh, it went through pre-press, looks gorgeous. Everything's awesome. I'm just waiting for waiting for more news on, on when I can expect it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And that has to suck, but you know, at least it's locked and loaded and you're just kind of waiting for that wait, waiting for that go. So, I mean, at least there's Yeah, that. no, there's plenty, there's plenty of other books out there where it's like, you know, my artist quit, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I'm homeless currently. Like there's, there's those kind of campaigns out there. It's not book is done. I'm just waiting to get it in your hands. Oh, absolutely. So before we wrap up things completely, um, I do like asking one question in particular, and that is for anyone that's watching and they're, maybe they're having trouble, troubles coming up with their own script, they're having trouble just getting started, writing down ideas, or any part of that creative process. What type of advice would you like to give them to kind of help them push through that barrier? I would say, number one, read more. Um, find those things that speak to you and say something back. Um, everything I've ever written has been my attempt at trying to mimic, you know, the things that I, the, the, the creators that I stand on the shoulders of. So if you do that, um, don't worry about being original. Don't worry about saying something nobody has ever said before, because it's going to be new because it came from you. So read, work on your craft and the last and most important thing is um, treat, take writing seriously. Don't just do it when you feel like you're going to create something. Do it like you're practicing something. And you're, you'll only get better with time. 
No, I really love that because a lot of stories have already been told, but they haven't been told by you. Like you have your own unique story and spin to put on that. So I, I, I really love that that type of advice because I, I find it really true as, as well. So with that being said, I want to give a big shout out to JP stopping on, breaking things down for us and uh, just everything in between. Thank you so much, guys. For anyone that's watching, we are going to be ending. It is a beautiful Sunday. My kids were super crazy and loud and <laughs> <laughs> holy crap. Um, it's time to put them to bed. And uh, with that being said, we are going to be closing it down tonight. I hope you have a fantastic Sunday, but most importantly, keep it geekly.